Hi everyone. For the first time on the Stars and Startups podcast, I have two guests. It was a lot more complex than I expected, but I think we did quite well to pull this off. Conversing the co-founders of the contemporary co-working pioneers in India, 91 Springboard, was extremely enjoyable. Guess that's just a Goa vibe. I chat with Varun Chawla and Anand Vemburi about the co-working business, how COVID is going to be a catalyst for increased adoption of co-working. We also chat about how the 91 Springboard team has set the trend among businesses that moved their headquarters to Goa. The advantages of building a remote team. They also share some tips on creating an environment for a remote team's success. And don't forget, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast or YouTube channel if you haven't already done so. And you can also sign up to the Substack newsletter to stay updated on what's happening on the Stars and Startups universe. Okay. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we have we have Varun and Anand of Nightwatch Pinboard uh, here today with us uh, to chat about the Nightwatch Pinboard journey, uh, moving to Goa with their teams, and a lot of fun things that is happening around the current situation. So, uh, hey guys, what's uh, what's happening in Goa? What uh, what's keeping you busy? All right, so it's Saturday. We're in the office, and for the first time in a long time, it feels good to be in the office on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so things did go good. Um, you know, obviously with the virus situation and stuff, uh, there was a lockdown here. But uh, we're seeing how things are getting back to normal, and you know, people are well. Normal is an overstatement, but uh, getting to our closest approximation of normal, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it just feels good to actually be doing something again, right? We were obviously working from home for all this time, but you know, the interaction was missing, and we've always been a fairly Community-driven and tight company, you know. So it's it's good to, you know, to be back at work and actually see other people. <laughs> so, you know what's interesting yeah, for 100%. me? Uh, what's interesting yeah. for me is you know most uh, companies, uh, tech companies, uh, can can think of themselves as saying, you know what, we're building product. We don't need to actually have a physical location, and we could sit at a co-working space at home at a coffee shop. Anywhere else, right? How do guys in the co-working space business think about that? Yeah, yeah. So the space, honestly, uh, <clears throat> you know, so it serves more functions than just infrastructure, right? So even before, you know, it's like if you go back to February, um, about twenty-five percent of our, our members were um, part-timers, single-person. Um, you know, about 25% were team size of four or smaller, right? Who typically have the option of, um, you know, working from coffee shops or working from home and so on. Um, but um, many of them, you know, they, they were in the space for a reason, right? Because uh, the infrastructure side, there's also this, you know, I've, I've uh, done contract work before and so on. And, you know, you get fried at home after a while. Right, so there's there's the sense of community, there's the sense of separation of, you know, you, you know, after you've worked in your pajamas all day, <laughs> it gets old after a while, right? So the sense of separation of, you know, there's some structure in my life. I leave home and then I go work somewhere, and there's, there's a discipline that comes with that, and then I come back home, right? So uh, different people have different reasons. Um, obviously, a lot of that's going to change, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later in the show but uh, 
it, it's never been a challenge for us, right? We've uh, we've tailored for that. We have, uh, you know, we've uh, we always had almost uh, you know a quarter of our customers who thought that way even before this. So if it's going to become like seventy percent overnight, you know, that's uh, not an issue in the long term, right? Short term, of course, there's a lot of other stuff going on. You know? And drifting off what Anand saying, um, yeah. my personal experience here, so not the tech entrepreneur, but I think it'll vibe with a lot of those folks too, is that most of us are in smaller spaces, uh, especially in the bigger cities. Uh, we've got a lot of folks in, uh, in uh, as an example, I had six people through most of this lock-in, six adults, and I was in a three-bedroom apartment and we didn't have enough uh, space to be able to do a conference call um, I would, I would not be able to have one room to myself, basically. So there was no way I could peacefully do one. And then you ride on top of that uh, internet issues and infrastructure challenges, uh, power outages, those sorts of things. I think it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a possibility, but if all your stars line up, and that doesn't seem to happen. So I think for most people, you could work for a couple of hours, you could work maybe for a couple of days, but you can't just permanently work from home. You do need to get out somewhere. Um, of course, there's the mental state of well-being, but there's all this infrastructure and just need for space, uh, real-world challenges, right? So um, I, I I believe co-working uh, or a similar second place is required for a person to be able to manage their home and work life. Not going to be able to do that all at uh, home. Since we touched on the topic of COVID uh, to oh. already, so let, let's just uh, you know bring this up, right? Then in that case. Um, are you looking at the space as some place that they could come? Uh, because I, I, I believe there's going to be a distributed office going forward, mm. right? Uh, at least in the near term, which is what I'm hearing and, and reading, is that folks are saying, you know what, we may not ask people to come back to the office because anyway, you can only have 30%, 40% uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, capacity, uh, et cetera, if you want to do social distancing, et cetera, and so on. Um, so, how does how does a co-working space solve for that? Uh, so it's going to be different at different points of time, right? And also every city is different right now, you know. So uh, uh, the next three months, I think, are going to be tough either way, right? It, uh, you know, even in cities that have a relatively low number of cases, people want a sense of comfort that okay, this is it's going to be like this for the you know, forthcoming future, right? So uh, three months, I think we, we'll see, you know, some people using the space. Uh, social distancing will be important. Safety measures are first and foremost, right? So we're not going to be doing any community activities for like the next three months, at, at least physically, right? Um, I think what's more interesting is longer term, right? So, so right now, safety concerns come first and foremost. That will dictate whatever it is. Are you using the office, not using the office? How many people are using it? So safety is the first reason on anyone's part, right? Uh, I think what's interesting is what will come after that, right? Because once the safety concern lifts, then you start thinking, okay, how did that work for me? Did I face problems? You know, does the office make sense? You know, there's pros and cons, right? There's productivity, cost, you know, all kinds of things, right? Um, and uh, it's been interesting talking to our customers because they are all over the place, right? There's people who are like, this sucks. My business is not running. I need to get back to the office like tomorrow. 
uh, and then there's the hybrid crowd, and then there's the distributed or remote, right? Um, and all of them see some role for a workspace or part time or full time, uh, but the formats are very different, right? So one of our challenges is to figure out what that future looks like and build for that, right? So. In, when you say the format would be different, one of the things that I'm hearing is the fact that you could um, send uh, their work from home kit. I, yeah. I don't understand what that means. Have uh, you guys thought about this? Like, what what's the story here? Yeah. So we've uh, see. So uh, the story here basically is that uh, working from home has its own infrastructure challenges. Right, internet connections, furniture. Many people don't even have a desk at home. Right. right? Uh, so uh, you know, so so just that, uh, and this is typically procured by corporates. Right. Right. Your individual doesn't have a lot of experience in, hey, how do I set up a router so I can access my company's VPN or whatever. Right. Uh, so most work from home kits, uh, where we've also been working on one, right? Uh, so we've taken a two-pronged approach. One is where individuals are looking for something. Uh, we connect them with someone, right? The, your typical B2C customer doesn't have the B2B connections, right? So if they want uh, an internet connection, we can connect them with the right offering at Airtel or whatever, right? Uh, and then with some of our larger customers and larger clients, it's a somewhat more, you know, how do we work with the company to make sure all the employees uh, get what they need, right? Uh, so for us, it's very early days. We've actually only reopened our spaces two, three weeks ago. So it's, it's fairly early. Yeah. So there is infrastructure, which is hardware. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. uh, like you're saying, there's the routers, there is uh, the desk, the laptops, the yeah. screens. Uh, and so on, which is kind of what yeah. comes to their office, which is the investment yeah. that any office would do. And then there is yeah. the other aspect, which is software, which is maybe a nice room, a quiet uh, space, um, yeah. you know, a comfortable meal at home, um, yeah. and, and whatever else. So are, are these guys looking at it from two separate angles? Because uh, you know, I, I, I was talking to the founder of CEO uh, uh, and CEO of uh, Itzigo. Uh, they had shipped, uh, you know, everybody laptops, right? And yeah. uh, screens and everything else. Uh, I know a startup that basically said, okay, we're going to get your uh, comfy office chairs uh, dropped off at your house, right? So that you can, you can be comfortable and you can work. Um, so they feel like that's sufficient, but obviously there's a lot more to it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so some of this we were already doing, right? So we've always been a, um, you know, a space that has these community activities and this uh, also acts as a platform for people to access resources from other companies, right? So um, what we're in the process of, it isn't launched yet, uh, what you'll see soon is translating some of that into a remote world, right? where some of these softer things that you've talked about, right, whether that's even connecting with other people or accessing, you know, uh, advice or feedback uh, from a peer group, right? Uh, we, that, that's something we've always done, you know, uh, but uh, how do you translate that into a remote and virtual setting, right? That, that's something we, we are working on right now. Right? 
is that the future? Uh, is that where you will be able to add a lot of value? Actually, before we get into that, um, yeah. What is maybe what's pink board? Because I a lot of the things you just mentioned, I think yeah. comes as part of that, right? I, I think we can probably yeah. segue into what is maybe what's pink board. How do you guys come together? Um, eight years ago, we were trying to be an accelerator or an incubator. YC was an inspiration, and we wanted mm. to try to work with younger startups, raise a little finance, uh, and and invest and, and wait out the four or five years to make a return, right? The typical accelerator model. Um, unfortunately, we were unable to raise any funds, um, but we had planned for a physical workspace also because, like 500 startups, we felt if we had a smallish fund. We could invest in the company and then provide a number of services that create that secondary cash flow mechanism for survival, right? So, so that was the thought. What ended up happening was we got the space, that got running, a number of folks came in, started working out of there, they started paying us, and all, all of that started to come together within six months of, of launch. Uh, but the fund, even a year after launch, sort of did come together. And we sort of had this moment where we said, hey, uh, there's, there's something under our noses that's working. And there's something that we're aspiring to do. Is it time we pivot? And I think about 18 months into our journey, we, we bit the bullet. We, we had Deepak, who I just told you, the most senior co-founder. He, he sort of said, hey, guys, this is working. Double down on this. Let's scale this. And he came in with a million bucks. And so he put his money where his mouth was. And, and we ran with it. Um, the, the one thing that's been constant from that and did carry over even through the pivot is that our, our goal wasn't just to like provide infrastructure and that's it, right? Our goal from day one, we were always thinking along the lines of what are their needs? They're all running businesses. What are the problems they're facing? How do they solve them, et cetera, right? And some of those are logistical issues, you know, like I, I need a payment gateway kind of stuff. And some of those are advice and peer group related things, right? So we've always kind of built out this platform where these things can happen, right? Uh, one of the things that was great about working in the same space is you have that immediate feeling of community and, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like your college days, right? College is the last time for most people that they actually belong somewhere, right? Um, so very collegial, friendly, collaborative atmosphere, right? And uh, over time, that's built out. We had 14,000 members, um, you know, uh, as of uh, March. And uh, this is after what locations? I meant, but, uh, across 27 locations. Yeah. 14,000 so, members uh, across 27 locations. Yeah. And yeah. The, the community feeling, I think, is, is also a very important aspect, right? When you're looking at, uh, you know, two, three member team, it can get lonely yeah. in a way because you're just seeing the. Yeah. Same three faces, four faces, because that's how small uh, some teams are. Uh, what we forget, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of the time is that uh, SMEs, MSMEs in this country uh, that include startups are quite small yeah. uh, until they yeah, actually yeah. hit their strike. Yeah. So, so absolutely, you know. So that is one of the reasons why a lot of freelancers and small companies have always come to us. In fact, uh, our first few years we only had the smaller teams, right? Um, so, uh, so so, that's what I meant by this, you know, acting as a platform for these smaller teams to also connect with each other and as a platform where the smaller team can access some big company resources, 
right where a small team would not be able to get uh, certain uh, products or certain pricing right uh, we try to arrange for that right and that's what was working quite well um, you know in uh, physical spaces and some of it is easily translatable into a more remote kind of world uh, some takes a little bit more work and we're doing that work right now so when in um 2012 2013 uh, i know that we work was extremely uh, it had a very uh, cult like following in the us uh, mm-hmm. at least with the startups that were housed inside of we uh, when we started life dojo in 2013 uh, chris uh, basically set up uh, his office uh, at a we work and you know he would tell me because we used to do a lot of video calls Like, man this is amazing just like what's happening there was a lot of excitement yeah. for, i mean and he was translating the excitement from the us uh, to to where yeah. i you guys started around the same time uh, maybe a year year and a half after but i don't think we were was a phenomena by by then um, was that ever uh, you know kind of an influence on on this because they have the same community oriented kind of approach they have the same kind of you know uh, uh, you know kind of funda in terms of uh, how they want to work with startups uh, and others mm-hmm. so in our initial days i wouldn't say we were aware of even we work we started off actually wanting to be yc right and so the initial days was wanting to be an accelerator wanting to work closely with entrepreneurs understanding their journey and facilitating that process um in our later years once we had decided we were a co-working company and we were going to scale that path of course we became more aware of we were we even interacted with them at multiple levels the indian team the overseas team and learned many things from them i think they've done great things on both the infrastructure and personally i feel um the, some of their community essence got diluted as they scaled i i do believe when they started they were doing some amazing things and, and we've also heard many of those stories read about those stories but it feels like uh, in 2020 it's not the same community that they were building in 2012 fundamentally they take larger spaces uh they their average space is above 50000 our average today is between 25 and 30000 square feet they have spaces as large as 200000 square feet so they take larger spaces and uh, they fit out uh, at a higher premium i think it's almost two times what we spend on the fit outs and then they charge uh, between 50% to 200% more than what we do so they have larger spaces almost always in um cbds or what would be considered premium locations also um so that's where they're a little bit different than us because they've gone after the premium enterprise segment who can afford um the higher rental the higher fit out that gets loaded into the membership fee and they they, they that's their customer and that's the product they want and we as we said originally were a startups company that expanded to supporting SMEs and freelancers and subsequently catered to some aspects of enterprise customers who we think are more value oriented and our spaces tend to be a bit smaller they tend to be not maybe in um, the heart of bkc as an example we wouldn't have a building there we'd have a building in what is called bkc annex 
So some of those changes are what we've made and we've spent on good, high quality, uh, long lasting, durable CapEx, but not necessarily what would be called fancy luxuries. Okay, so uh, kind of the premium locations uh, it by, by itself will probably impact a lot of pricing to a large extent. Uh, and I think if you're yes. a startup and if you just wanted the community and the space, then I think the choice is quite clear, right? What they're going to choose over, uh, you know, a location which probably is important for very few. Yeah, the location is anywhere from one third to one half of the member price. Right. Uh, what kind of revenue models are there? Because uh, there's obviously buy and build, which you know uh, maybe a McDonald's can do uh, <laughs> around the world. Uh, and then you have uh, kind of the rev share kind of a scenario, which is uh, what it is. Uh, you know, you just take the space from the owner and you tell the owner, uh, hey, we will give you a piece of the pie. Uh, let us run the space for you. And this is how we want the space to look like. And uh, and some of the incubators follow the, we'll take equity from you and they call it an incubate. And they don't charge for about a few months and then hope that they stay on and then they start charging them for that. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, am I missing any other models that exist in the space? Yes, yeah. you got the two major edges and then this one unique model. The two edges is I'm going to pay for everything or my partners are going to pay for everything and there's various hybrids of I'll pay for some stuff, you pay for some stuff, right? And, and then you divide the kitty accordingly. based on who's taking what risk and who's funding what portion, right? So you got the two edges and there's uh, probably a, a 20 different combinations that I've heard of over the years. So your 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 ballpark is correct, and then that that odd animal of I'll give you space for equity um, is really an odd animal. You don't see it frequently, but we have heard of it, and we very early took a call that that wasn't going to work for us. Uh, just the percentage of startup success is so low that that's an unviable model as far as uh, I've been to your Rise Mumbai uh, location, um, so that's a partnership yeah. that you've done with. Uh, you know, Barclays. Uh, Barclays, yeah. Right? Uh, that's a quite unique kind of an offering where you've done a partnership. It's like a co-branding, right? Like, uh, you know, Run DMC worked with Aerosmith, right? Uh, what, what's the, <laughs> what, what is the fundamental kind of thought behind that? Like, how did that, how do you guys put that together? See, when you're a young company, you're still trying to establish product market fit. And while we believed we had some of that figured, which was running these co-working spaces for startups, um, we still felt there was ways we could add more value to the entrepreneur, specifically if he could bring a large corporate to the table that would engage with them and help them with uh, resources that they had. In particular, you know, getting through some of these large regulatory compliances or getting access to capital, getting access to a multi-million user base was something that Barclays would bring to the table. So that conversation really revolved around how could we increase our engagement and value proposition to our members. And uh, so philosophically, because we were aligned, we were open to discovering a business model that worked for us. And it was a three-year partnership that we did. It actually concluded in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Um, um, so it was something that we learned a lot from. Uh, Barclays subsequently had had turned in both their rise management team and their overseas management team. Uh, so their goals also changed. But fundamentally, I think 
aligning with more stakeholders that help in a business journey is core to what 91 Springboard believes in and is finding different ways to continue to do that to deliver more value. So that was primarily focused on fintechs. Uh, Absolutely correct. That, that, was a, that was basically Barclays wheelhouse, right? That's right. And was that, uh, you know, are there any other partnerships that are similar? And what kind of value, like how does a Barclays say, okay, this worked for us? Um, we do have other corporate partnerships, but they haven't taken on the same format. Um, so we work with organizations like um, Amazon or HDFC or Google, and they're, they're varied in nature. The, the goal is that um, 91 Springboard has a certain operations and an ability to execute. And if um, through that execution, we can deliver a value to both our partner and the entrepreneur or our member, um, we would want to engage with them as long as it's a minimal change in how we operate. We're not a consulting organization where we build something ground up to, to facilitate a partner. But if our operations in their natural form are 80, 90% what the partner is looking for, we'd be happy to augment 10, 15%, learn a few new skills and deliver more value to our members. That's the type of partnerships we build. So the the Barclays partnership is the only one where we actually, our philosophy has always been to engage with external partners to deliver more to our members without sort of completely reinventing our operations, right? That would be a consulting company. Our goal is not to be a consulting company. Our goal is to leverage our operations, maybe making augmentations, 10, 15%, which is long-term good for the partner and good for our members and teaches us new skills. That's how we look at the world. And in that vein, we've done partnerships with organizations like Amazon and HDFC and Google, where we've delivered value to our members by learning a few new skills. We've never quite uh, done a a dual branded space again, but we found different ways to partner in achieving more benefit for our members. That means that the 91 Springboard brand doesn't get used, right? Um, Ultimately, then it's going to be, you know, in this case, Rise, which is a fintech. I think about three three years ago or so is when we made that decision of we would like us, we would like to act as a platform. Right, we're not going to do this one thing with Amazon here, one thing with them there. The fundamental thing is we have 27 locations, 14,000 members, almost 4,000 companies, many of which are startups. Um, these companies and SMEs who are smaller, they typically don't have access. Right, because it's such a large distributed group. Similarly, the uh, some of the larger companies also find it very difficult to coordinate with them. So, there are mutual needs that can be filled, though. Right, these these companies are looking for some of the products and mentorship and knowledge that is stored in these larger organizations. The larger organizations are looking for the innovation, uh, and conversely, they're looking to distribute their products. Uh, to these companies and there's a matching problem, right? You can't send a sales force out in the field to meet with, you know, 500 startups a day. But we can do that because 500 startups a day come into our spaces every day, right? So uh, starting about three years ago, we uh, that's the, uh, you know, that was the vision and that was the strategy going forward. So all our new partnerships and Amazon and Google being uh, the notable ones 
took this format where they apply across all our spaces. All our spaces are 91 Springboard spaces and all our members have access to this versus a single location, right? And uh, we did also then finally, you know, having shown the success of this, we got some support from the government as well. And we received a large grant to grow this program from uh, the Atal Innovation Mission. Could you tell us a little bit more about the, the mission and uh, what this grant is yeah. about? Because I remember uh, the government picked out a few, uh, you know, operators uh, to then go and mm -hmm. work with startups, uh, and also yeah. they let them write checks. If I if I remember correctly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, so we received this grant um, almost three years ago. Um, and the, the, the grant, when the government put it out for applications, you know, the, the, the people getting it um, uh, are quite diverse, actually, right? Everything from a college incubator to someone like us, right? Uh, so our uh, support is um, largely on two fronts, right? Uh, one is to grow out this platform that I just talked about, right? Uh, so building technology for it. Uh, bringing in people who otherwise are not in the startup ecosystem to add their knowledge um, and so on. Um, so that was one, right? Where we just make entrepreneurship and innovation more accessible, right? And that could be knowledge, it could be networking sessions. Uh, there's a whole range of activities we do under that umbrella. Uh, and the other one was what you touched on, which was um, writing checks into startups. So uh, a po portion of the grant is also reserved for uh, us to write checks, not purely from a, um, you know, I'll get an exit two years from now point of view, but for us to uh, fill a gap in the ecosystem, which is it's very difficult to find a lead investor at a seed stage, seed or pre-seed, right? With those really small rounds of a crore, Four and a half. Uh, putting the syndicate together itself is sometimes quite difficult, right? Uh, so uh, our co-founder Pranay had, has been leading that, and he comes from IM Ahmedabad incubator, where he's had a lot of experience doing this, right? And uh, so bringing together and cobbling together that round with our, our check also playing uh, a part of that, right? And bringing some confidence to the other investors that okay, these guys are. Also putting some money where the mouth is, right? How do you uh, decide then? Uh, you know, I, I'm sure Pranay probably brings in that know-how, saying, "Okay, we we choose to invest here because we get some, uh, you know, you know, maybe a startup that could go on to occupy more seats in our in our uh, spaces and add more value to the ecosystem." Hmm. Uh, no, so this is run like a proper professional fund. Right, so it has. Uh, we've deliberately uh, uh, separated it from our space business. Right, so you don't have to be a member for you to be eligible uh, for us to consider funding you. And conversely, if you are a member, you don't get any preferential treatment. Right, it, it's a professionally run operation with its own investment committee. Uh, on which I don't sit, for example, neither Varun nor I are on that, right? We are focused on the space side. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's run as a completely separate concern, which, you know, they have their objectives as in, 
and there should not be any compromise based on the rest of the business you know i've i've heard some disturbing stories from some of the other uh, you know incubation missions uh, you uh, know where uh, the money gets siphoned off uh, and then the startups get a very small portion of the check even though it's only around 12 12 13 lakh rupees they still get uh, a piece of that uh, only they get a small slice of that and then the mission itself keeps the rest It's, it's quite disturbing. Is that true? Have you guys? Uh... Uh, so I haven't heard that, and I'm honestly a little surprised because um, you know the the grant comes with a fairly rigorous uh, reporting requirement and uh, governance and audits, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. So I've I never wish. heard that. Um, yeah. I've I haven't heard that, yet, but given the ethical standards that we hold ourselves to uh, all of us in this organization that's completely out of the question and friend i was been running this program uh, ensures every penny reaches the entrepreneur and i think one of the things he's been extremely proud of and we've done a pretty good job of is that every time we've written a check we've been able to mobilize anywhere from 5 to 10 times that amount um and mm. that's something we've been very very proud of and we feel we're making a difference right that that was our promise to help uh, sort of fast track the startup ecosystem this is the startup india uh, it's it's part of the startup india mission and we think we played a little bit in uh, towards that uh, you know i i hope the other scumbags uh, you know kind of can also uh, you know have similar values and, and actually try to deliver value right? i mean Uh, the reality is, uh, as it is, startups have a hard time. One one thing that um, I know of, I know it's been worked, and and which was talked about for a little bit of time, including a few of other startups that moved their HQ to Goa. Yeah, I think you yeah. guys started the the trend, uh, so to speak. Lock, stock, and barrel. Three years, three years ago, twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, twenty seventeen. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. What triggered that? Uh, like, uh, screw this pollution in Delhi. Uh, all this manic, uh, you know, morning drives and commutes to Okla. Yeah. So Varun, Varun looked into the future and he saw that this yeah, epidemic uh, risk is uh, <laughs> somewhere looming. <laughs> yeah. Basically, as a as a group of founders, we would meet uh, at least once a month. But they intend to talk about high-level challenges, working on the business, work instead of working in the business, right? And we we just bring threads that we we were seeing in each of our areas, and we just would brainstorm with each other to try to see if they were seeing similar things, and if it needed action, or if it was just an isolated problem, right? So in this case, Pranay actually brought this up, where he said, "Look, he saw a number of his folks." Um, getting stress spending a inordinate amount of time traveling so a lot of the things you said um getting sick frequently um and things like that and then as as soon as he brought this topic sort of anand and i both chimed in we said okay it seems like this is not just an isolated problem as as responsible employers as people that want to bring along build a long term organization with with great people who will come along for all of that ride um what can we do and we said hey some of these smaller simpler places just seem to be just easier in terms of commute 
lesser in terms of pollution, lower in terms of cost of living, uh, yada, yada, yada. And we said, like, maybe that is what we should be looking at uh, if we want to build a strong foundation for an organization that's still in its infancy and has got a long way to go. That, that's put ourselves in a solid place, right? And we were at this point, I think, about five years into our 91 springboard journey. And we said, it makes sense to go through that research. And we did. And we looked at a number of cities from, from your Chandigarhs to your Cochins, to your Jaipurs, to your Vizags. Um, and we looked at a number of these and we mapped on a number of uh, elements. So we looked at um, schooling. We looked at travel. We looked at cost of living. We looked at art and culture, um, uh, commute. Uh, a lot of these things became uh, elements that we looked at uh, absolutely actually goa yeah, was yeah. under risk of not being approved for that reason but we realized just the six months prior to us considering goa 100 megs had become sort of the norm uh, we can still argue about its consistency but at least they deliver 100 megs when they're working uh, but all in all goa sort of uh, stood the test. There were a couple of locations we were looking in North India, which seemed to polarize South Indians. There were places like Pune and Hyderabad, which were at the cusp of just becoming big cities and having those big city problems. So we ended up in Goa. And to be honest, I think there's a couple of segments where I felt it hasn't been successful, but for the most part, it, it, it's, it's been a, a home run, I'd say. Um, I'll tell you the, the groups where it doesn't work. There's, yeah. there's some really young folks that are looking to socialize a lot. And um, Goa is in the place where there's a vast number of young people that you can sort of socialize with. Um, Goa is a city where you bring uh, your own folks and you party with them. You don't normally find a lot of folks here. Um, seasonally, of course, around New Year's, maybe you, that'll happen, but not for the remaining 11 months of the year. Right? Uh, that's one. And then the other one where you uh, sometimes face the challenges where they're um, professionals uh, where both spouses are working and if they are to move then the second spouse some, uh, struggles to find a job because there aren't a lot of jobs here it is a small town there aren't a lot of employers here so those are a couple of pockets where we've struggled but for the most part uh, people are happy they have uh, more time they are more productive they are less stressed um, uh, they, there's a side effect where they're more loyal just because they can't go very many places. But all in all, I'd say it's worked out quite well, if I do say so myself. Uh, the, the, with uh, COVID uh, upon us, uh, do you think all the things that we just talked about would uh, kind of apply to working from anywhere? You mean the benefits of Goa, would they apply uh, elsewhere? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so I was just actually... Uh, Chatting with, I have some friends in Kool, and uh, they were telling me about these guys who've uh, set up internet in a coffee farm, okay. so people can come work from there, right? So I, I think you are going to see that more and more people realize that, you know, especially knowledge workers, mm -hmm. that they don't all have to be in the city, right? Uh, they don't have to be in the same office, right? Uh, but what goes, so it's definitely possible from a infrastructure quality of life, you know, these kinds of reasons, right? And even before COVID, we saw so many people like moving here, you know, delivery as an office here, um, you know, a bunch of others. Uh, but uh, the infrastructure and the practicality is not the only thing. You also have your organizational dynamics and the culture and so on, right? So companies are making different choices, but it's definitely feasible. It's definitely feasible. How is this helping with your... Uh 
manpower? Like, is hiring becoming better, or uh, I'm guessing retention is obviously better. Like Bahul mentioned, um, but for to get good talent to come in, uh, be technology, yeah. uh, you know, or are Goans coming back to go and say, oh, now I can see uh, two three companies here who I could potentially work with, even though it may not pay mm-hmm. me the same, uh, you know, kind of uh, money I would earn in Bangalore or Pune or anywhere else. Uh, I still get the opportunity to work uh, you know, closer to home with my parents. What, what, what are the kind of trends that you see? So while we moved to Goa, it wasn't that we envisioned our head office in its entirety being Goa, right? So about a third of our people continued to work from Delhi. In fact, for a few months, I was uh, I was working out of Bombay, um, you know, for personal reasons. And today, for example. Um, our head of finance works from Bangalore. Our head of sales works from Delhi. Uh, technology, we're hiring largely in Hyderabad. Uh, now, many of the people that we've spoken to have actually moved to Goa and they find it attractive about the company that it's an option for them. Like our head of HR moved from Bombay to Goa because he was partly because he was sick of Bombay. Right? Uh, so we are able to attract more talent in some case, but I think the bigger impact has been we actually now have access to a pan-India talent pool. Because, you know, with 27 locations, we were already building that muscle of working remotely, right? Uh, so earlier this year, you know, we, we, you know, we made these decisions about sales and tech and so on. Where let's go where the talent is, you know? Uh, so I would today consider ourselves uh, like hiring on a pan-India level anyway, right? With or without COVID. Um. A lot of things that I heard during COVID was uh, from other people was uh, how are you talking to your people? How are you managing to get things done internally? And that was a topic that was totally off my mind because we've been doing this for a few years now. So that was not the topic on my mind. The topic on my mind was how the physical safety of people and running off our physical locations, running a business of social collaboration in times of social distancing. You know, those were the things I was thinking about, not thinking about how do we work? Because that's how we've been working. Yep. We, we use video conferencing, we use calls, we, we're structured, we, we, we document things. Um, we don't rely on just sitting next to each other and having that conversation to get things done. Could you get into a little bit of detail? Like, how do you guys make um, remote working happen? Because I, I, I'm sure a lot of people want to are still figuring it out. I mean, they've obviously got the efficiencies up. They've you know set them better data plans, etc. Uh, you talked about documenting better, communicating better. Could you just touch on those uh, four four top level items that has worked for you or you guys have learned over the three years? You know, so we've been remote for a while. So the parts that we do quite well are things like scheduling, availability being inclusive of people who are not in the same office, right? There's a lot of that cultural stuff of, you know, the person in Delhi shouldn't feel like left out because meetings are happening without them, right? Um, I think uh, the degree of ownership, right? If you work remotely, um, you have to trust the other person, right? That old culture of I'm going to walk around the office and look over your shoulder of what is happening on your screen, right? That's... you can't do that remotely, right? And if you if you try to do that with like remote screen capture software and all that, you you know it's just you know like just just stop that. Like either go back to an office or embrace it, right? Yeah. And with that trust, also you know by and large people embrace the ownership, right? And I I think that has uh, been 
one of the things that has helped us as we've grown even in this remote setting right uh, so these are the you know couple of things which i'd say are things that we've done well and we believe in right with being inclusive and thinking in from in a remote way right thinking of okay i'm working from home or i'm working in a different city how would it be so being considerate and then this culture of distributed ownership and trust right uh the documentation and some of the things that barod mentioned is it's like a ongoing struggle right where you know some people do it well some don't no one likes loves documentation right that's just human nature right um you know and those are things where it's a combination of tools and stuff so over there i won't offer any kyan as such well uh, uh, you know we're still figuring that out ourselves uh, any any tools that has really worked for you uh so of the teams that do it well um we use a wiki we use confluence uh we use ticketing systems uh, different departments use different ticket management systems um we use uh, uh jira quite heavily on the tech side you know which is also a ticketing system right and um, actually facebook workplace is something we installed about a year and a half ago as kind of a social hub right so it's not where work happens it's where a lot of the other social you know the water cooler kind of interactions happen right you know a lot of people a um, lot of people have yeah. done facebook workplace but have not been able to get much value out of it right uh, because i mean it, it seems forced uh, come and post yeah. on this or comment on that uh, etc um, what what's really worked for you there so i think uh what's worked for us is see so you ha- I, i in fact i've i've spoken with other companies and um, you know one of my takeaways was there's no single success right it's you have to define what you're using it for right if if it's your place where work happens where you post a document and everyone comments on it then that's what it's for and then that culture and that discipline builds right uh in our case it's more of a social thing right where um, uh, each city has its own group and you know like uh, uh, i may not even have access to those groups right it's where they can talk they can chat they can post stuff of interest uh some of our company level announcements happen there you know things like that so it doesn't have a formal work function it's not like we document requirements or policies on facebook workplace we make some announcements but it's largely for person to person interaction right and that's how it's used uh i think the the companies where um it's uh, uh where they've struggled is where it's not clear to employees right like it's for work but it's also for birthdays so when like is it a policy that i have to wish you happy birthday on facebook workplace or is it just a you know friendly thing which i'll do with my own friends you know as hr tell me which groups are allowed and not allowed or can i make my own groups you know like these are things that you have to define your purpose first you know? yeah. uh hey so wait 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 anand yeah. called me out so i'm going to talk a little bit more about this <laughs> so <laughs> so i've run a pure remote team for the longest time i basically have been running the real estate function which means finding spaces yeah. in various cities and we've only got the one space in goa and we've got 26 spaces in other cities so my work truly is remote where there's folks um visiting locations doing due diligence speaking to landlords uh, all of that happening and then i will 
typically fly in for a closing discussion or a final inspection but a lot of the work happens remotely so i uh, one of the things that i've consciously done as i built the team was finding people that didn't need that micromanagement that knew the lay of the land and then you could tune culture and some level of skills but you didn't have to build bottoms up and they were people that if left to their own devices would just be playing games on their phone all day um, i have hired those types of people too by the way <laughs> so so how you hire um i didn't touch on this very briefly but uh, management by output versus management by input don't look at how much time they're spending doing what but um you determined what kpis or outputs they had to produce and now you're having frequent conversations on what they were able to produce what they weren't able to produce what were their challenges and guiding them through that so that um it doesn't replicate uh, and and that conversation is also very um uh, it's 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 a nurturing conversation versus a uh, an argumentative conversation I, i i don't know how to explain that well but you have to adopt that style otherwise they they're going to actively avoid your calls um we speak frequently we would speak um, as much as scheduled a couple of times a week and unscheduled i would make myself available whenever they wanted on whatever medium they wanted so especially in their early days where they are figuring out the lay of the land they've got a million little questions just like i've got this question do i put it on workplace uh, do i call up somebody in hr or do i speak to you about it just make yourself available for that right be that person that can let those little tensions and stresses out of the system otherwise they're going to hold it inside and long term that leads to lack of performance or just uh, they fall out of love with the firm and they look elsewhere right so so that's 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 something that i did and finally we did do physical meetings we would do every two or three months we would get all of our folks across the country into one location to build some of this camaraderie understand each other's you know this as people right and sometimes that doesn't happen on these calls because it's around an agenda uh, but when you're there together there's more time and you fill that time during meals or after meals where you're talking about other things about your life and that's where you really get close right and this was a trick i actually learned from um this book about wordpress it was called the year without pants if i'm not mistaken and this which is a fully remote organization they said that worked really well for them something i instituted in my team and it actually did work quite well uh, to this day uh, folks call each other resolve challenges and don't always escalate to me i felt it's built some long lasting bonds that even when they're not in this organization they will retain ha <laughs> you guys raised about 6 million dollars uh, towards your i guess plan for the future uh, that's about yeah. 42 45 crore uh, rupees uh, for a, to keep manual spring road a going concern <laughs> what what's the thought process here what's the plan for the future uh, around march you know as we started tracking the virus um, in other countries actually uh, especially uh, southeast asia china you know it became quite clear that this is going to be serious uh, how serious or not no one knew how uh, long it would last uh, etc also hard to predict right uh, so we uh, you know so so most of march was actually just reacting to things quickly right as it spread in india as the lockdown was announced very abruptly and so on you know we had started some preparations a few days before and you know just working with that and communicating to our customers and our team and so on um 
And then the uh, so obviously what that meant was we were in uh, almost zero revenue situation almost overnight, right? Uh, so um, you know cash being precious, uh, one of the you know so we we put together a plan that okay let's plan for all contingencies. This could last, you know this was back in March where we said that this could last till December or even longer. Let's build that war chest. Um, and uh, let's do it quickly. Uh, and by April, actually, as we started preparing for that, as early as April, we also started seeing that there may be a big opportunity on the other side of this, which was, um, you know, keep in mind, co-working is like 2% of the commercial real estate market, right? And we were taking a beating in March and still are taking a beating. But the other 98%, those guys have five-year leases, right? Um, and they have a single office and now their people have commute problems and, you know, like all kinds of other problems, right? So as early as April, we started also getting a lot of uh, interest around, say, I want to let my people work from home, but maybe a few days a week, they'll need a space where they, a, a second place, as as Varun called it, right? Starbucks being the third place. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, so the, we had this... Uh, Second place kind of remote future planning inquiries coming in. Uh, we had people who were working from home, but they need a good internet connection once a week because that's when they do their team meeting, you know. And we had large companies who, unfortunately, in some cases, have also done layoffs uh, or are paying large fixed rentals to, you know, for a conventional office who are saying, I need, I need flexibility. I, I can't afford these fixed liabilities in such a dynamic environment. So by April, you know, we had also started seeing this um, demand uh, of, of multiple kinds, right? Where in this very volatile world, people were, look, were looking for flexibility and options and multiple locations. And uh, they were looking at co-working as uh, being one of those options, right? So, um, you know, that was the basis for our pitch. Uh, we started speaking with a bunch of investors, existing and new. Uh, what was also clear uh, quite early within the first month was any new investor naturally would take time, right? They, they need to do diligence, they need to get comfortable with you, etc. So uh, in the interest of speed, we uh, went ahead and closed it with existing investors who already knew and trusted us, right? Um, so I think uh, this is the fastest raise we've ever done. It took us about a month and a half. <laughs> the pitch to that. I mean, obviously, you guys have been around for eight years. You have a growing business. Yeah. Things are stable. So I, I'm not surprised that you were able to close quickly because you know it's you're not testing the waters per se. You already established. What is the pitch yeah. now? What was saying? So the, the pitch was basically there's this opportunity that meets our capability. Right. So we we have always um, we you know so some co-working spaces run like traditional offices, right? We have run somewhat unconventionally. Where as I mentioned earlier, about twenty five percent of our members were already remote workers, right? The office I'm sitting in right now, Airbnb's Goa team, which is I think three to five people, they're, they're working out of this office, right? Um, so we're familiar with that. We know how to meet the needs of those companies, whether it's three people here and several thousand people all over the world, right? And so th those were our capabilities, and we believe this is a trend for the future. 
and now what we're meeting is this completely unforeseen event which has you know floored the accelerator on this right <laughs> where uh, you know in everything that is you know as bad as things have been for the last three months uh, whether it's for our business or for society or whatever you know at the other end of this dark period at the end of the tunnel we saw that there's this large opportunity and we could prove that with our pipeline that we're getting inquiries from these very traditional companies that never would consider remote working saying hey i'm considering it now what can you guys do for me right so that was the pitch that we we know how to do this and what we were thinking was a five year trend has now happened overnight right uh and uh, as i said uh uh you know we had conversation with several people who also had the same thesis um and uh, now we're building towards that that's the case i mean uh, i think just spot on uh, in terms of uh, you know saying okay how do we capitalize on the situation and and you know what advantages uh, that you have as a business uh, to take advantage uh, you know that i think that's a strong enough pitch right and i think people want to come along with that right um you said uh, traditional businesses uh, what do you mean by traditional here is it in the style of working or is it in you know type style of operating yeah i think in the you know what i mean by the traditional business is this uh, what's the word people use the, the promoter led business right which is um i think uh, there has been a culture which has been changing um of a uh, very tight management control right of uh, you know you have to come to the office in part because we need to keep an eye on you <laughs> right um and uh, you know check it at 9am and it should be at 6:00 pm you know huh, so yeah so some of those things what's exactly up. right you know and and this is not um, actually unique to india it's uh, i mean this has been the paradigm of management that started in the factories a century ago that work is an industrial process where you have to manage the machines and it's been changing right a lot of the new stuff around giving people freedom and so and so it's, it's uh, we have to recognize it's relatively new it's uh, even for places which we consider more liberal it's only happened in the last decade or so right um and that change is linked to the workspace as well right because your environment is one way of controlling right uh so i think that's where we felt like that change would take still a decade or so to happen in our market and it's now suddenly happening very suddenly <laughs> it is accelerated i mean i think a lot of businesses yeah. have found that acceleration right i, yeah. I mean you know we we learn a lot about uh, these scenarios in books right we're saying you need to be in the right place at the right time and you need yeah, to be in the right yeah. business at the right time and a lot of the time it's just yeah. that you're probably the right business and you just need to persist and stay in that business until you know other things can fall into place uh yeah uh, i yeah, yeah. i mean I, i think it's just a story of that you know i think uh, yeah. you know what's interesting is you're actually saying that working will actually benefit from this rather than not benefit from it Uh, is that what i'm hearing because i would i would imagine the general uh, thinking or mentality would yeah, yeah. be the other way saying you're actually going to struggle because people yeah. don't want to go to the office today 
Yeah, yeah. And they don't. So, okay, I'll put it this way. I'm, I'm short-term pessimistic and long-term optimistic. Right? Maybe Where, I'll... Sorry, yeah. sorry. Go ahead, Anand. Uh, so, for the next few months, I think we're in for a very, very tough time. Right? We have our work cut out for us. Uh, but beyond that, right, if you look, okay, what happens after a vaccine is discovered and rolled out and everyone is vaccinated, right? What does the world look like after that, right? I, I, I think that's where my optimism lies. Two things that our industry really delivers. One is financial flexibility. And the second is um, in the workplace, this collaboration and ability to um battle things like loneliness or to become more productive or to find certain vendors, et cetera. So all of that. So there's the two things our spaces offer. Now that second piece people still don't want to do because social distancing, blah, 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 blah. But the first thing people want, because if they were used to uh, taking a large office, making a three or five year commitment, paying a large deposit, spending crores of rupees, fitting that out, they don't want to do that today. Today, all managements are saying, I want flexibility. I want to reduce my absolute cost. Our, our industry clearly solves for that even today. That's why our pipelines are full and people are having conversations with us. The second thing that we offer, currently they're agnostic towards, and that's not what's driving this change, but we know that's long-term, that's what they're, they need and that's proven to us. But right now what's driving this change is people want to reduce their costs, they want more flexibility, they want to reduce their obligations. Let me give you an analogy. Um, so all these companies have been doing these digital transformations into the cloud for the last 20 years, right? When the 2009, uh, 2008 uh, crisis happened, it magically all got accelerated immediately because no one wanted to like this, where do I cut costs, right? I have these server farms and stuff, right? I will let me move to variable pay instead of upfront capex, right? And that same thing is happening even with cloud computing today, right? Uh, Amazon, AWS and Azure are probably doing fantastic business today. And in some ways, we are the AWS of office space, right? We bring that same flexibility to the physical location. Yeah. So for people who are considering co-working, working from home, I know a lot of founders who you know, have uh, the tech team working from, you know, small town with anyone else. What's your suggestion to them and, and where do you think that wants to work So honestly, my advice to them is solve for your business, right? That always comes first. It's always been how we've approached any of our customers, right? Uh, where we can help you find your own solutions is that, you know, we have these multiple locations where your people can work from home, but as and when they need certain professional infrastructure, whether that's a lease line or whatever, they uh, have access to something that cuts down on their commute time, etc. Right? And uh, for you personally, as a founder or a business unit leader, whatever, um, we do have a fairly rich community of people you can join where you can find support, right? Especially as a small or mid-sized company, there's a lot going on. People are looking for solutions. I need a lawyer, accountant, freelancer. I need to find some cloud software for to replace my old on-premise system. All of these are things where, you know, when I gave that college analogy earlier, I meant it, right? That the people want to help, right? So, um, you know, we are working on actually fine-tuning the virtual version of our platform 
and that is something where i think you'll find 91 springboard is not just helping you solve infrastructure problems but also has access like a support system for you and your business and uh, no i'm with anand on this i think this is um almost a catalytic event we've wanted to provide a lot of our services virtually and we've been talking about it for a couple of years but i think we just got caught up by working in the business and not thinking about the future and this event is forcing us to do it i'm i'm glad it's happening i think it's a need for the hour and i think we'll be stronger for it uh, we've always stood for this now we're just acting on it <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome guys uh, anand varun thanks for your time um you know good luck keep doing good work uh, we'll talk thank soon. you thanks for having me a pleasure thank you cheers guys